we come to the part of the sermon series where we begin to talk about harvesting. And this is a moment when we look to Scripture and we begin to see that the Scripture has much to say about planting and much to say about, about harvesting. But I want to look specifically at a, a picture where Jesus describes something he's doing and uses the word harvest as the, as, the, as the illustrative piece where he's talking so that they would understand. So if you would turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9, we're going to pick up at verse number 35 and go into chapter 10. Matthew chapter 9, verse number 35. Once you get there, if you would stand in honor of God's word. Matthew chapter 9, verse number 35, and following reads like this. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered like sheep, having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is truly, or harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And when he had called his twelve disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Now the names of the twelve apostles are these. First Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew his brother, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Labaius, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon, the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, and I'll, I'll kind of break the verse there, but for, would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you that as we come to Scripture, Lord, that we're reminded that you see the work. The harvest that is plentiful is all around us. And that the measure of reality is, is that it's us who needs to, to, to see the work and us who need to, to embrace the, the measure of our responsibility and it's us who need, Lord, the motivation to go and to do it. We ask, Lord, that you would allow us in this time, Lord, to look into the lives of those around us, especially through the holidays, and see the, the magnitude of the straining world we live in to know that those who were hopeless, Lord, that they could have the hope of salvation, that they could know they could know of your steadying hand in the lives of each and every one. We ask that this morning, that as we begin to put our effort to the harvest, Lord, that you would be blessed because of our, of our work. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. You'll notice that we've gone through a, a, a fistful of different pieces, and we've talked about preparation, and we've talked about planting, and certainly of, of the watering, and then the waiting. We get to this part when if you're, if you're accelerating through the process of, of understanding growth of anything, whether it's livestock or whether it's, it's crops, we, we get this picture of you're finally to the place where the waiting and all of the work is culminating into this, this reward. But it doesn't happen accidentally. And not, not on the scale that, that we see in front of us with the magnitude of what Jesus is doing. And so the picture here for us is... is that we have to realize something is very important. You know, and, and I'll give you just a simple reality from church life. Most churches in America are 100 people or less. And that's mostly because one person, one, one paid staff person can keep up with about 100 people before they get 
too drawn too thin and they can't keep up with people and people get missed, okay? And, you know, when you get to a place where you're in our congregation where it's a little bit larger than that, we understand that, that it's hard for Brother Ben to keep up with everybody, and that's why I'm grateful I have Eric and Andrea. I'm glad that we have, you know, the, the possibility of putting on a next-gen pastor and looking at all those pieces so that we can, we can all meet all those needs. But what happens in, in a simple illustration from church life is this. When one person is tasked with the responsibility of doing all the planting and all the watering and all the waiting and all the harvesting, you're going to get to about a certain size, and that's all they're going to be able to keep up with, right? I know that there's a time in, in our history where before mechanization where there was a lot more labor required to do a lot more of the harvesting, whether it be livestock or whether it be, be crops. But even still, asking one person to harvest all of the things or to, to take, take to market all of the animals, you begin to realize that one person, it's impossible for them to keep up with so much beyond their, their measure, and Jesus is, is in the midst of a moment where he is ministering to a group of people and he is doing the work and it's all around him and he's like, we're going to have to bring on some hands. Now, I believe this was always part of his plan, but they needed to see it the way he needed to see it. So let's read it together. Verse number 35. Then Jesus went out about all the cities and villages. Everybody say all. How many cities did he go to? Oh, Jesus was... He was just out, and he was just doing it in every single place that he was at. And you see this picture, and when we read the word all, all means all. That's what I was taught, and that's what I'll teach you. He's not, he's not shying away from locations. He's everywhere that he goes. He's teaching in their synagogues. That's their gathering places where they come to worship, but also their gathering places where they come to do any number of other things. But the synagogue specifically, I mean, is, we think of it as a place of worship. And he's teaching there, and it says that he's preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Now, when we talk about the gospel of the kingdom, we talk that the gospel is Jesus, that the gospel is Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. We talk about this picture. Jesus is preaching the gospel already, and Jesus is able to preach a gospel that precedes his death, burial, and resurrection. Was there good news from Jesus before Jesus' death? Yes. Is there better news since it? Yes. The gospel is the building block that Jesus is using here, and what he gives them is it's already great it's already good news, but man, he's going to add to it the power over death. He's going to give to them a piece that is increasingly better than the one he's giving them here. And he's going to point them to an eternity in front of them that they would not be able to access without him. And it's powerful, but he's already preaching. We, we see this moment. It says that he's doing something else. It says he's healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Man, to see that, to see, to behold that, Jesus working in the midst of people and Jesus working in, in, in numerous communities and he's just going from place to place and people are bringing him the sick, people are bringing him the, the, all these, this measure of, of infirmity. Well, if Jesus was capable of doing it then, it's the very reason we paused just a few minutes ago to pray because we believe Jesus can still do it today. You know, we'll, whether he will or he will not, that's his decision, we understand. But the magnitude is, is that it's theologically bankrupt to say that Jesus was doing it there, that he can't also do it here. And so I would suggest that when you find yourself in a position where you need some bit of healing or somebody that you care about needs some bit, go to Jesus. Well, we see this picture here, it continues to unfold. Verse 36 says, But when he saw the multitudes... He was moved with compassion for them. 
everywhere he goes, there's a crowd. Every crowd that he goes to seems to grow. Jesus doesn't have trouble gathering a crowd, right? What we begin to understand that the magnitude when we look at harvest is understanding the, 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 the readiness of the fruit. Point number one, if you're going to take notes this morning, is the gathering requires knowing that the fruit is ready. Jesus is in the midst of the people, and they are desperate for a healer. They are desperately sick. Well, I mean, they are in a moment where he, everywhere he goes that he is just overcome with all these people. Isn't it something? Isn't it something to, to, re, to realize that if we would present the real Jesus to people, that the crowd would become so numerous that we wouldn't be able to contain it? We present the real Jesus to people, and all of a sudden people are like, we don't, we don't want a subset of what people who follow Jesus have to offer. We want Jesus. And we hope that people will see Jesus. We want them to see the Jesus that, that we see in the Scriptures, that we follow, that we believe. We want to point everything to Jesus. We are not here to attract people to see what good things we have to offer. We are here to attract people to see what good things Jesus has to offer. And Jesus is right there in the midst of it. And as a result, he is pointing out all of this around him, and he's like, this fruit is ready. This harvest is upon us. And it, it causes him to swell up with emotion. It says that he is moved with compassion, that he's suffering for them. And if you ever had a doubt about whether or not that, that Jesus was interested in all and what you're going through, when you read these passages, it confirms it over and over again. This is not the only time that it says this. The similar wording whenever he goes to feed the 5,000, he's moved with compassion. He recognizes when people around him are hungry, and he recognizes when people around him are Sick. Jesus knows what's going on in your life, and it moves him. It moves him to a place of compassion. It says, because they were weary and scattered like sheep, having no shepherd. You ever get to that place where you're like, man, I'm tired? Oh, come on now. Some of you, about 9 o'clock now, because it's like 13 hours after daytime I mean, is gone, you're like, man, I'm tired. I'm joking. I realize it's just a few hours, but, you know. Some of you are, are sitting on the couch, and, you know, and my family will tell me, my, my wife said it last night to the kids. They asked me if I had seen a movie with them, and my wife was like, yeah, he probably slept through it. You know, the kids' movie goes on, and I get comfortable, and before I know it, they nudge me. They're like, you're too loud. We can't hear the movie. I'm not the only one that snores. Trust me. But the reality is, is that uh, whatever you took from that. Um, but it says that because they're weary. Sometimes you're in this circle of life where you are running at it and you are, you are burdened with it, that you are moving. And you're like, I'm just doing this to turn around and do it right again. Anybody ever feel like that at the laundry machine? Some of you guys need to learn that one. Some of you guys are great at it. I praise you for, for being there. At the sink, when you're doing dishes, you're like, man, I just do these dishes just so that somebody can bring it in from the other room. Um, you know, recently in my house, I heard somebody utter these words, I might stab you with a fork if you bring one more dirty dish to the sink. <laughs> I'm told all the time that we, we're vibrantly violent in my house. And I'm like, I don't think anybody would actually get stabbed with a fork, but the thought has occurred. Or to turn around and pay the bill just to know that another one's coming. Just to have this moment where you are, where you're in this weary cycle where you're like, 
Jesus is looking at this crowd and he sees them weary and he sees them scattered and he's like, so he does this. This is his response. Are you ready? He says to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. He looks right at the, at the, the intimate circle of people that he has invited into this work he's going to name in the next that the scripture is going to name in just a few moments. And he, he, he looks right at them and he says, don't you see it? The same picture in my estimation that when John chapter 4, when the, when the woman at the well and Jesus are having a dialogue and she goes back into town and says, come meet a man who told me everything I ever did, that this multitude begins to come out and Jesus is looking up and he says, the harvest is plentiful. Uh, he's in this moment where he's looking out and he says, the harvest is plentiful. That's point number two if you're taking notes. So here's a question for you. If Jesus believes the harvest is plentiful, is the harvest plentiful? I was told a story recently. I was absolutely floored by this. Um, there was a, um, a, a person in the community has a relative that's a missionary, and that missionary was taking a, a posting in a part of the world where they're like, oh, it's pretty hard to reach people for the gospel. And all of a sudden, you know, this missionary just doesn't believe what they had to say about that and just went out and started sharing the gospel. And all of a sudden, people started coming to Christ. And it's like, well, I think people have believed the lie that it's hard to reach people, that they have stopped trying because they believe that it's difficult. And so as a result, they just have stopped. Jesus has declared to us that the harvest is plentiful. That means the harvest is plentiful here. It is plentiful there. It is plentiful between here and there. That the only reason that there is not a harvest is because the laborers are few. He sees it. Do you see it? Look at the people all around you. I'm not asking you to make, make embarrassing moments out of yourself, but you know, if you were to walk in, I'll show you. People are happy when they walk into the store. They are sad when they come out. They have what they went to purchase, but their wallet is now empty, and they understand. You look at people when they, they go to their mailbox, and what they find is a stack of bills. They are sad. They are all around us, and, and they don't know what we know about Jesus. And you look around the world, and you'll just see people are becoming increasingly downtrodden. The harvest presents an opportunity for hope in the midst of struggle that does not exist elsewhere. The harvest is plentiful. So if the harvest is plentiful, then what prohibits a harvest? A lack of laborers. Most churches will never grow past 100 people because one person is trying to do all the harvesting and it's hard for one person to manage the orchard. Because as soon as they go out to manage the orchard, there's something back in the storehouse that's crying out for help, that needs help. And then you go back there to fix whatever's broken or whatever's a problem, and you've neglected the orchard, and this has become the model of American church across the landscape. And the problem is, is that the laborers are indeed few. The harvest has never stopped being plentiful, in my estimation, and it never will be, not till he comes back. Verse 38 says, Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Hmm praying for a multitude of people to rise up and say, we want to share a responsibility in this moment. This moment where seeds have been planted and they have been watered in prepared soil and we have waited and we have waited long enough. The fruit is now ready. It is time to harvest. There is an overwhelming sensation in my estimation 
that there is, and we, we heard this all at the meetings we went to at the beginning of the week, that it seemed like there's this sensation of, of decline and, and this measure of kind of despair. And, and I would suggest it's because we have sat too long in a systematic moment of quiet where we have decided to educate ourselves to death but never share what we've learned. And we come to church, but we never go back out with it and talk. If the tools that you receive here when you learn from the Scriptures don't challenge and energize you to walk out and share with people what you have learned about Jesus, then we need to change something about what we're doing so that people will start to do that. So they will maneuver into a place where they will be sent out into a community that's desperate. The problem is, is that the gospel shifts in our own thinking, not that it's ever shifted in the Scriptures from a place of what we're trying to offer people oftentimes isn't the right thing. We're trying to offer them help. God bless you. Help people. We're trying to offer people acts of service. God bless you. Go do works of service for people. We're trying to help people with quality time. Go help people with quality time. Trying to be a part of words of affirmation. Go affirm people. But don't forget the gospel in the process. Don't forget the opportunity to convert a soul from somebody who is condemned already to somebody that could be redeemed forever in this one moment because I will not allow myself to be afraid to talk about it. There's a moment where Jesus says that we should pray for this. Have you prayed for this? And then immediately he, he does something phenomenal. And when he had called his 12 disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Now, you're thinking to yourself, that sounds pretty crazy. I don't know if I want to do that, Brother Ben. That sounds kind of charismatic. Do you realize that this is a mirror of exactly what Jesus had been doing? This is exactly what he was doing in chapter 9 at the end of the chapter when it's like he's doing this. And he's doing this and he's like, there's so many people and they're so weary and they have no shepherd. And he's like, we need to, to get more laborers. And immediately he, he looks at his disciples and he tells them to pray for the harvest and then he gives them the opportunity to go and do exactly what he was doing. And you're like, but man, he's not asking us to do more than he's done. You know one of the best ways you know you got a good, a good boss or supervisor at work? is if your good boss or supervisor does the work and then just asks you to do the work like they do the work. Jesus is doing the work and he's like, come do what I do. Outside of my office, there's a, a little sign that says, know the character and the conduct of Christ. If you know his character and his conduct and then you model it in your own life, you'll find how, how powerful that can be. He just gives them this opportunity and he's talking about the, the picture here is he's given them power. Lord, won't you please give us the power to share the gospel in the hearts and the minds of those people who need it, that we have believed that being civically minded to help with all of their shortcomings might lead to a gospel opportunity. It might lead to an opportunity to proclaim Christ. We are all too often waiting on the question, why do you do this? Instead of saying, this is why we do this. You know, recently we, we began to reevaluate the way that we're handling some of our benevolence type items, especially around the holidays. And at the very last line of a letter that was circulated 
um, to some that, that were getting that letter, it, it states very clearly, we exist to tell the story of Jesus. And we want to talk to you about that. I hope that's true for you. I want you to exist to be a laborer in this harvest. That's what Jesus tells us we need to pray more for. So he goes on after he's empowered them to do this thing that we're, we're kind of all a little nervous about. If he, I mean, what if Jesus gave you the ability to do these things? You might feel a little, a little uncomfortable because that's not very Baptist sounding. But it's biblical. And I prefer biblical to any other name that somebody could give to me. Verse number two says, now the names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. And he goes to the list, and I read them to you a minute ago. Tax collectors and fishermen and, and all manner of, of roustabouts, as it were. That's a word you can look up later if you don't know what it means. Do you realize that there's not one person in here that would have to make an, an introduction to Jesus? There's not one person in here would have to reach their hand out to our king and say, hey, my name is, because he would already know your name. There's not one person in here that would have to extend a, a, a business card or a, a resume to say, these are all the things I've done in my life. You need to get to know me a little bit better. I'm one of your followers or I want to be. But it actually, it's quite the opposite. I think that many of the people in the world today, they don't need to tell Jesus who they are. They need to find out who Jesus is because they don't know enough about him. And you see this picture that Jesus is, he is intimately acquainted with these 12 and everyone else he encounters. And as a result, these are the ones he's picked to do this harvest, this immediate harvest. For such a time as this, in a place just like this, your name is in the number of people who need to help labor. And it starts with being introduced to our Savior. He knows you already. Would you like to meet him? I would love to introduce you. If you don't want to reach out for his hand, I will go with you. The point is, is that we see Jesus knowing these individuals. And, and you see, if you're going to follow along in point number three, is Jesus will equip each of us to participate in the gathering of the harvest. He's inviting you to be a part. He's inviting me to be a part. But he's not just inviting me. It is not the responsibility, by the way, of the paid staff to do all the ministry or all the harvest. It's the part of the, the ministry staff to help you organize those that have been harvested and to help you understand the magnitude of it. When the staff and the church member begin to work side by side in this measure, you'd be shocked at how much could be done. You'd be stunned at how much would be accomplished. I still don't know, even with grand mechanization, any farmer or any rancher that wouldn't love to have a couple more hands around to help with the harvest, to help with the, with the time to go to market and the time. I, I, I'll, I'll have this moment in my, in my memory for all of eternity. There's this picture of, of a placement. My grandfather stands me on a, a dirt road 90 degrees from where he's at, and he tells me to go far enough down there, and he tells me when to stop so that I'm hidden from the moment. So that when he begin to drive the cattle to the intersection and he wants them to turn, that he hollers at me at the right moment and I know to move forward. 
so that that will spook them so that they'll turn because he knows. And it was funny because there was an observer that was one of his friends that was there to buy some of these animals. He just pulled up and he says, man, I didn't see you there, but your grandfather's a genius. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, he knew just how far back to put you that someone, nobody would notice you. And then it was the right time when you showed up that they knew to turn. And he's like, it's amazing what he can accomplish with just a couple faithful hands. Jesus has 12 and he's trying to reach the whole world. He's working it out, by the way, because those 12 reached out to a bunch more of us and we keep reaching out to a bunch more, don't we? And as long as we'll keep reaching out to a couple faithful hands, you'd be shocked at what might be accomplished. There's this picture here, this picture of Jesus equipping us in spite of where we come from, in spite of what we, what we were before we came to know him, even knowing that some in this number will have doubts, one in this number will betray him, some will deny him, and yet he still invites them in. Trust me, the folks that are surrounding you will not be perfect in the process of the harvest, but man, they're the ones that have been invited to the work. Let's get to work. It goes on to say, and this very last piece, these 12 Jesus sent out, and he commanded them. The instruction he gives them, and you're welcome to look at it if you want, um, he, he starts with a very narrow avenue. He says, do this part first. And that's what he does in the instruction, but it says that he sent them out and he commanded them. Point number four is that Jesus is the sending authority. He is the sending authority. The magnitude of all the permission that you ever needed to talk to your neighbor, your relative, your friend about Jesus is right here. Jesus is enough authority. I don't need anyone else. He is my king. I don't have to have permission to talk about Jesus. But the sad thing is, is the longer the people like myself have been believers, the, the longer we surround ourselves with other believers, the fewer lost people we have intentional conversations with, and that's something that needs to change. You know, if you become a believer in Jesus and you become a part of church and you become part of a connect group and you begin to surround yourself with a group of people that already know him, you have to make intentional strides to step out of that box and talk to somebody who's not part of that group to invite them in or to go to them and tell them about the thing that has changed your life. And you have to be intentional about it because last time I checked, the harvest doesn't crawl into the barn. You have to go out to the field to get it. And the picture is that Jesus sends them out. He sends them out. And he commands them. He said a few things in here, hasn't he, about what we should do and how we should behave? If he, if he hasn't, you're going to have to challenge me to change my mind because I've read a lot of things that he's told us to do. He's waiting on us to do them. The first, very first thing he told us to do was to believe. Do you believe in Jesus today? If you believe in Jesus today, then this next part is real easy. The invitation goes like this. I already believe in Jesus. What should I do next? I'll tell you what you should do next. You should pray for more harvesters. And when your name is called, you should say, send me out, tell me what to do. That'll be enough. But if you're in this place and you don't already believe in Jesus, but you are being pulled on at your very fiber of your being to know him today, then when I open up an opportunity, you can come and you can talk with me. And I'll introduce you to the guy who knows everything about you already and wants you to be a part. You might have something else in your life and on your heart and in your mind that you want to talk to God about and you're welcome to come and pray up here at the altar. For the entire time that this church has existed, this place has been a sacred space for people to come and cry out to God about all the things. 
concern for loved ones, concern for self, concern for the world. Bring it to the altar. If you need to talk to someone about knowing Jesus, I'll be here. If you need to, to re-up your confirmation that you want to cry out and say, Lord, we need more harvesters. Until every seat is filled, until this place is used seven days a week, 365 days a year. Until then, we've got work to do. Amen? Would you stand with me? We're going to bow, and I'm going to pray and open up an opportunity for you to come if you want to come. Lord God, we thank you, Lord, that we in this place have an opportunity to cry out to you. Lord, first to believe. Lord, there is parts in each and every one of us that struggle and resist this belief. But Lord, we know, we can, we can sense the truth in us that, that this is real and that you are who you say you are and that this book tells the whole story. Lord, I pray that if there are any here, if there are many, Lord, if there's just one that needs to, to know you today to be introduced to the king of the universe, Lord, I ask for them, that they would have the courage to walk the aisle and to ask me for that introduction. Lord, for everyone else that's here, those that already know you and those that have burdens on their hearts, Lord, I pray that they would have the courage to come and cry out and just talk to, talk to you about all the things, praying for more harvesters, praying for healing in their families, praying for, for the magnitude of the, the chaos that surrounds us in this world. We ask, Lord, that you would open this time for each and every one of us to come and talk to you, to become part of the harvest ourselves. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen.